If you have your Bibles, if you would open them to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. As we continue our study of Abraham and his descendants, we find Israel, that is Jacob and his 70 family members in Egypt. Joseph, who was sold into slavery by jealous brothers, had become the most powerful person in Egypt under Pharaoh. And he made it possible for his family to escape the ruinous famine in Canaan and to settle in Egypt, in a region then known as Goshen. Uh, later on, 400 years later, when Moses writes this, it's known as Ramses. This is where we are in our study. I would point out something before we begin reading. We start at verse number 27 today, and for some reason, uh, the NIV has the Israelites, but most English translations have Israel. And something we've seen the last two Sundays, that the name of Joseph's father, well, he has two names. One is Jacob. This is the individual. Israel is also the name given to him after he wrestled uh, with the Lord. Um, but when we find Israel, it tends to refer not simply to the individual, but to his descendants, those who are his family. So we are told that Israel would come back to the land. God says to Jacob, you know, Israel will come back. You will come back. Well, not him himself, but his descendants. Um, so here in verse number 27, Israel has settled in Egypt. So if you look at verse 27, now Israel settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So Jacob has been, in, has been in Egypt for 17 years. This means he's 147 because we know when Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And he said, uh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. This means that Israel, Jacob and his descendants, have been in Egypt 15 years or 12 years past the famine. Because when they went to Egypt, there were two years of famine and there were five more years to go. So they've been there for an additional 12 years. And we are told that they acquired property there and they were fruitful and increased in number. But the question arises, why are they still in Egypt? The famine's over. Um, They're doing well, and maybe that's part of the problem. They're doing so well, they have prospered that they have decided to stay in Egypt. But this Egypt is not the land that God promised to Abraham. The time of Jacob's death is close, or at least he imagined it was, as was the case with Isaac. Um, And he has a real sense that there needs to be continuity. God's promise, his covenant began with Abraham, with Isaac, and now to him, and he needs to transfer it on to his uh, children. 
But he wants that continuity to be seen in the fact that he will be buried where they are buried. Um, and it's interesting, you know, Jacob just doesn't say, I want you to bury me. He says, swear to me that this is, in fact, what you will do. When we get to the next chapter, Lord willing, next week in chapter 49, the, de- the description or the details are given as to what he wants done. Um, he says, bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron, the, the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought from Ephron, the Hittite, along with the field. Abraham is buried there. Sarah is buried there. Isaac Rebecca and Leah, and Jacob wants to be buried with them. We will see, if not next Sunday, the following Sunday, that Joseph makes a very similar request. Um, he wants to be buried in the land that God promised to them. Now we come to chapter 48. And here we find that Jacob adopts Joseph's sons. Look, if you would, at the first seven verses. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. But just a side note here, he's 147, sometime later. And we don't know how much later this was. uh, But at some point, it, it becomes obvious that Jacob is not doing well. Verse 2, when Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to see you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, Your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan. While we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephraim, So I buried her beside the road. I buried her there beside the road to Ephra, that is Bethlehem. So Jacob is ill, but when he finds that his favorite son is coming to see him, he rallies, and there's some things he wants to take care of. Joseph brings his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Um, Earlier in the series, we saw that when Pharaoh uh, promoted Joseph, he gave him a wife, Asenath, who is the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. And during the time of plenty, she gives birth to two sons. The first is Manasseh, which means, it sounds like making to forget. Joseph said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. By the way, Manasseh is a Hebrew name. It's not an Egyptian name. Asenath does not name the sons. Joseph does. And they are a reflection of his experience. The second son is Ephraim which sounds like making fruitful. It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Still remembering the suffering that he had gone through, but praising God that God, in fact, had made him fruitful. So Joseph comes to visit his dad, and what happens? Jacob begins to reminisce. 
he begins to sort of rehearse the things that have happened in his life. That God appeared to him at Bethel. It's near the town of Luz in the land of Canaan. And God blessed him and God promised him certain things. I will make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. You may remember this happened when Jacob was running for his life from his brother Esau, who had sworn to kill him. And then he says, you know, after I left Paddan, he'd been there for 20 years, and then he moved to Succoth and then to Shechem. They, God called him and he moved to Bethel and settled there and then moved on further south toward Hebron. But on the way, his wife, uh, the woman he loved, Rachel, uh, dies in childbirth giving birth to Benjamin, and there she is buried. I can't help but wonder if Joseph might have become a little impatient. It's like, Dad, I know all this stuff. Okay, I I know the story of our family and what has happened to you. But I don't think he has any idea about what his father is about to do. And that is to say, he adopts Ephraim and Manasseh. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours, and the territory they inherit they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. It's interesting that that Jacob mentions Reuben and Simeon. Those are the first two born of his sons. In the passage that Gia read to us today, when Paul is giving his defense, he talks about the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, you've got the 12 tribes, but you've got Ephraim and Manasseh, so you have 14 tribes. So how does that work? And in fact, if I were to ask you to name the 12 tribes, you'd, it's like, wait, there's, there's more than 12. If you look at a map of the Promised Land, if you have a Bible that has a map in the back, um, you will find that there is no territory for Joseph. Uh, Manasseh has some on the east side of the Jordan and some on the west side, and Ephraim is on the west side of the Jordan. Uh, So nothing for Joseph, so we're down to 13, and there's none for Levi. So we're back to 12 again. It is interesting that in Revelation chapter 7, where it speaks of the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, uh, none from the tribe of Ephraim, none for the tribe of Dan. So again, we're down to 12. There's a fascinating passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. And the book of Chronicles is much like the book of Numbers for a lot of people. It gives you a lot of names. It's the genealogies. And, you know, people would rather skip over that and get to the narrative part. But this is from chapter 5. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn, and then in parenthesis, he was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights of, as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. So he could not be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. And though Judah was the strongest of his brothers and a ruler, a ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. It's fascinating that Reuben is pushed aside because of what he did, and Ephraim and Manasseh are put in his place. The rights of the firstborn. Remember, this is what Jacob 
got from Esau for a bowl of stew. These rights will belong to Ephraim and Manasseh. The royal line goes through Judah. The kings come from Judah. Fine. The right of firstborn goes to Joseph. Um, By the way, this can only happen if Jacob adopts Ephraim and Manasseh. If he does not adopt them, then there's no way that they are going to replace Reuben. It is interesting that Jacob tells uh, Joseph, you know, if you have any more kids, any more sons, then they're going to be reckoned, you know, like all the other grandsons, uh, that I'm not going to adopt them. Well, um, Ephraim and Manasseh are in their early 20s. It's unlikely that Joseph is going to have any more sons. Since he has adopted them, Jacob now blesses them. Look, if you would, at verses 8 through 20. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so that so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down to the, with his face to the ground. Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left, and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a great people. And he too will, be, will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. And he blessed them that day and said, In your name, Israel, will Israel pronounce the blessing, this blessing, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Now, when you read this, it might seem strange that Jacob doesn't recognize them. He just said, I'm adopting them. Okay, They're like Simeon and Reuben. They're, they are now mine. And if you have any other kids, they're yours. But his eyesight is failing, just as his father's Isaac. Remember, that's why Jacob was able to fool him into giving him the blessing. Um, I like what Joseph says when he says, who are these? These are the sons. They are the sons God has given me here. Children are a gift from God, and Joseph recognizes that. Jacob intends to bless them, 
So he says, bring them so that I may bless them. Joseph does so, and Jacob kisses them and embraces them. It is an emotional scene, which is made even more so by what Jacob says next. I never expected to see your face again. Never thought I'd see you again. And now, here are your sons. And Joseph responds by bowing down with his face to the ground. So now it is time to pronounce the blessing. And Manasseh is on Jacob's right side and Ephraim at the left. The right being the position, the higher position. It is the position of favor. But Jacob, whose eyesight is not good, does not put his right hand on Manasseh, but instead he puts it to the left on Ephraim. And then he takes his left hand and he puts it on Manasseh. He crosses his arms, which is somewhat awkward and somewhat strange. And, and Joseph is really unple- is not happy with this. He's really displeased about this. Uh, he's like, this is the older one on your right and this is the younger one. And, and Jacob says, I know, my son, I know. The younger will be greater than the elder. The elder brother would be great, but the younger would be greater. So that the blessing in the future days would be, may God bless you, may he make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim in front of Manasseh. This is almost a case of deja vu in a weird way, in which the younger brother is given precedence over the elder brother, Jacob over Esau. But there's no sneakiness going on here. There's no scheming. There's no faithless scheming. What, what can we do to make sure that the younger gets the blessing? There's no bitter aftertaste. It is, as one author puts it, an object lesson in quiet responsiveness and faith. Jacob or Joseph initially is displeased, but then he accepts what his father has done, putting his right hand on Ephraim's head and his left on Manasseh. And then he pronounces the blessing. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name, the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. I think what we should notice in this blessing, I mean, really interesting that he gives the blessing, but in fact, the invocation of God, a threefold thing. And in this, Jacob is, re- is recounting, he is remembering what God has done for him in the past. He's reviewing his life, if you wish, and the life of his father and his grandfather. And so... Uh, we're going to review a bit of what we have seen in this series on Abraham. In chapter 17, uh, the first verse, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. In Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. That is, I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai. And we say, why, what's going on? Why, why the new name? 
what's happening. Well, in Genesis, we find that oftentimes the title or the name used by God matches a situation and usually one of, I wouldn't say desperation, but where God's servants are really hard-pressed. And here, Abram is 99 years old. It's been 24 years since God promised him that he would make him into a great nation. And nothing. There's Ishmael, and that's a whole mess over there, but he and Sarah have not had a son. And so God reveals himself as the one who is almighty. And in fact, within the year, Sarah will have a son. She will have Isaac. God says to him, walk before me and be blameless. You may remember when we went through this, I said that oftentimes you can tell if somebody is not a native speaker of a language because they mess up the prepositions. And so the idea of walking before God, even for us as Christians, like, well, that's, that's a bit strange. We are told to walk with the Lord. We are told to walk in the Lord. This is in Colossians chapter 2. We are told to walk after the Lord. But why, why should we walk before the Lord? As I pointed out then, this is a picture of a parent as a child learns to walk. The child is, goes in front and you hold their hands and as they walk in front of you, the parent walks behind them. And this is what calls, God calls Abraham to do, to in fact walk before him, that God will be with him, right behind him, every step of the way. He is God Almighty. Then the second way in which Jacob invokes God's name is that the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. This is Jacob's personal experience. And by the way, if you remember, Joseph's, Jacob's profession was in fact a shepherd. He was a shepherd. So it's not like when we read the 23rd Psalm and we sang it today, and we say the Lord's my shepherd. And that seems really kind of, I don't know, quaint, rustic. Uh, we don't have any personal experience of that. Jacob absolutely did. After his dream of the stairway to heaven, Jacob made a series of vows. And when we looked at this, we noticed that, in fact, the vows he, make, he made matched the 23rd Psalm. It opens with, the Lord is my shepherd. But Jacob's words, if God will watch over me on my journey, the journey I'm taking... David writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If God will be with me, Jacob says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And if he gives me food to eat and clothes to wear, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So that I return safely to my father's house, Jacob says. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Then Jacob says, then the Lord will be my God. The beginning of Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd. So it is the God of 
before whom Abraham and Isaac were told to walk. He is the God who has been Jacob's shepherd. And thirdly, he is the angel who has delivered me from all harm. This may, in fact, refer to the experience at Peniel when a man wrestled with Jacob all night. But if you think about it, God delivered him from Esau, from his father-in-law Laban, who deceived him and then came after him when he left. Um, But here the angel delivered him. In Hosea chapter 12, in the womb, he grasped his brother's heel, that is Jacob. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. In fact, God had delivered him from all harm, from his brother, from his father-in-law, from the Canaanites, particularly after his two sons massacred the men of Shechem, from famine in Canaan. God brings him to Egypt. This is the God that Jacob invokes as he blesses these two sons of Joseph, who are now his sons by adoption. Then there are two more things. In verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. You'll notice here that Jacob is called Israel. Again, the the sense of nation. Um, And he encourages Joseph with regard to two things. First of all, that the Lord would be with him and that the Lord would take him back to Canaan. And we're not told, but why doesn't Joseph just go back to Canaan? Why don't all the of Jacob's sons and their families go back to Canaan, it's very possible that they could not do so. But Jacob says, in fact, the Lord will bring you back. He'll be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And then verse 22. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. This may seem strange just on so many different levels. First of all, Joseph is given is over his brothers, and Jacob is giving him a ridge of land that he took from the Amorites by force. We know nothing about this. In fact, this seems completely out of character for Jacob. Jacob is a sneaky guy, the deceitful one, the one who's deceived his father, that he would actually take up a sword and a bow Uh, to take land from the Amorites, this really doesn't sound like him at all. I would remind you at this point that scripture is sufficient, it is not exhaustive. I want to know how this happened. I want to know, you know, was there a battle? Were people killed? Who went with Jacob? There's a lot of things I want to know, and we are simply not told. We are told that he took this land from the Amorites and now he is giving it to Joseph. Okay. You might say, well, Damon, what is sufficient about this statement? Why aren't we told more? Well, in John chapter 4, we are told the story of Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman. This is from verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, 
near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And there it is. That's why we're told Jacob gave land to Joseph. Um, Mo Moses wrote the book of Genesis more than 400 years after these events. More than 14 centuries before the coming of Jesus. There's no way he could have known the connection. But this is the wonder of scripture. It is God's revelation. And God has Moses include this in scripture. And it shows up again in the life of his son, Jesus. And this is the wonder of scripture. Hebrews 11 has been called the hall of fame of faith since the chapter offers a long list of Old Testament saints whose trust in, in the word and promises of God prompted them to act. They believed God and they acted accordingly in faith, with boldness, with courage, sometimes in very, very difficult circumstances. I'll just edit and go over some of this quickly. Uh, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. By faith, Noah, who was, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, in regard to their future. And then it comes to Jacob. And what would you imagine if, you, if you've forgotten what Hebrews 11 is about, or if you've never heard it, what do you think it would mention? By faith, Jacob did what? That he obeyed the Lord and returned to the land of his father? No. By faith, Jacob wrestled with the Lord and overcame? No. By faith, Jacob returned to Bethel when the, where the Lord first appeared to him and settled there. No. By faith, Jacob went to Egypt having been told by the Lord that he should go. Do not be afraid. Go to Egypt. No, it's not that either. What does it say? He, Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Really? This, this is the act of faith in Jacob's life? I'm sure that there were many others, but this is the one that is mentioned. And, and why is that? Because, to be honest, I don't think it's the one that first comes to mind for me. But let me suggest some reasons why, in fact, this is seen as his act of faith. First of all, you'll notice that we are told that Jacob was dying. And as one author put it, to die by faith, one must live by faith. That even as he is dying in faith, he trusts God, he obeys God as he did as he was living. Secondly, in pronouncing a blessing on Joseph's sons, Jacob does the following. First of all, he acknowledges the continuity, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Ephraim and Manasseh. God made a covenant with each of them and it will continue with his grandsons who are now his adopted sons. He acknowledges that God has kept his promises all his life. 
Through all the trials and troubles that Jacob has experienced, the angel of the Lord delivered him from them all. Trials and grace. Well, the angel of the Lord was certainly there with Jacob. Thirdly, Jacob gives the right of the firstborn Manasseh to Ephraim, where he bought it from his brother Esau. Here he knowingly, he says, I know, my son, I know. He knowingly gives it to the younger brother rather than to the older brother Manasseh. Side note here. It has been argued, interestingly, that in fact Joseph was the legitimate firstborn son of Jacob. Because Laban deceived Jacob and gave him Leah. One author says, in fact, yeah, these are not the ones. These are not the firstborn. Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel. This is his legitimate wife, the one that had been promised to him. And then I would remind you of the passage I read earlier from 1 Chronicles 5. Um, His rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. And the rights of the firstborn belong to Joseph. Fourthly, the two sons of Joseph were born in Egypt to an Egyptian wife. Uh, You may recall that the last time that there was an Egyptian in the family tree of Abraham's family, it didn't turn out so well. It was Hagar. Yeah, that, that didn't turn out so well. So Joseph married an Egyptian woman, and not just an Egyptian woman. She is the daughter of a priest, Potiphar is a priest of On. So he's a pagan priest. Yeah, I, one could say that these men, are, Ephraim and Manasseh, are disqualified be, from being part of the covenant people. But by faith, Jacob blesses them and says, these are my sons. And people will say, may God bless you as he has Ephraim and Manasseh. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. By faith, Jacob put Ephraim first, though both were given a blessing. Here was a conscious act of faith in the face of his approaching death. Faith is being obedient to God's commands, even in the absence of tangible evidence. Let me read to you some more from Hebrews 11. All these people, the people of faith, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Then later in the chapter, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames. Gia read to us today about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in half, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. I love what the next statement is. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Jacob is going to die in Egypt. He wants to be married, be buried back in Canaan, but he's going to die in Egypt. But he knows that God will one day bring his descendants out of Egypt and take them back to the land that God promised to his grandfather Abraham. Last Sunday, we considered the reality that scripture is the revelation of God. And that revelation is seen in creation, it's seen in scripture, but supremely it is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that all of scripture points to Jesus, all of it, the Old Testament, the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, it's not simply the prophetic passages that talk about what is coming, but we have various individuals who are seen as types of the Messiah. And we saw this last week with the case of Joseph. But what is the purpose of God's revelation? It is to show us who the creator is. So what? So why is, why is that important? Because we are made in the image of the creator. We are creatures. We are made in his image. And thus it is to show us how God acts and how we are to act, how we are to live. In a word, faith. We are to obey God. I was thinking about this. You know, if we could go back in time, boy, the things we could tell Jacob. He doesn't even know about the Trinity. He doesn't know about the Messiah. There's so many things he doesn't know. Many things the Old Testament saints didn't know, but they obeyed God. God spoke to them. He gave them commandments and they obeyed him. We know so much, and what do we do? Do we obey? Do we live by faith? Or in fact, do we trust in other things? For our comfort, for our care, to sustain us? We are to live by faith. And in this act, which on the face of it may not seem like that significant of a thing, Okay, he adopts his two grandsons and he blesses them. But the writer of Hebrews says, this is the act of faith. If I'm going to talk about Jacob's life, this is the thing I want to mention. We should take this to heart. Let's pray together.
our Father, we are told to whom much is given, much is required. You have given us your revelation in Scripture. You have sent your Son. We live after the fact of his coming. We should live by faith. We look at someone like Jacob, to whom you appeared at different points. He didn't know nearly as much as we do, but he was obedient. He lived by faith. His grandfather Abraham did. He left Ur of the Chaldees and went to a place where he didn't even know where he was going. He followed your lead. You entered into a covenant with him and his son Isaac. You had them walk before you. You were right behind them every step of the way. And Jacob knew this. And so he could live in faith and in obedience that the Lord God Almighty was right there with him, had kept his promises, had kept him from harm. We thank you for the gift of your word and for the gentle reminder in our passage today that it is not exhaustive, but it is sufficient. There are so many things we would like to know that are not recorded in scripture, but what is recorded there is enough. It is sufficient. Above all, scripture tells us about your son, the Lord Jesus who gave his life that we might have life, who even now intercedes for us. One day will come back for us. And as he was resurrected, we will be resurrected as well. We thank you for your grace and your love and your great faithfulness to us. By your grace, may we be people of faith, who obey you, who know that we are walking before you, that you are right with us every step of the way. I thank you that you've brought us together today. May your spirit and your grace go with us. May we have a sense of your presence as we walk through the world in this coming week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.